1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 19. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as, one, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, who he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Uh, Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, thank you that we've heard your word, that uh, your word written for us has been read for us so clearly by Belinda. And uh, thank you that we have the privilege of dwelling on it now. And please help me to speak from it clearly and helpfully for us all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you uh, to start with about uh, a lady that some of you will know if you've been around our church for uh, uh, quite a while, but others may not. Her name is Olive Dodd. Uh, She was a wonderful Christian woman who died a few years ago now, uh, aged about 98. And she and her husband, Gordon, gave themselves wholeheartedly to Jesus and uh, to his people. They prayed. They uh, worked hard to uh, keep Jesus teaching and grow more like him in their own lives. They served in many ministries. Gordon, for many years, ran the, the, um, the kids' church. Um, on Sunday mornings. He even had drove a bus around and picked up kids from the streets when you could do it in those days and brought them in. They loved and cared for people. They came to church every week. They gave money. They gave glory to God. They handed out Bibles, just like Simon tonight, handing out those Bibles. But uh, they were in the Gideons, out and about on the streets, handing out Bibles. They were involved in supporting overseas mission. They were full-on followers of Jesus. But some people in their wider family thought that this was not such a good thing. 
They thought that uh, perhaps all their commitment to Jesus was a bit of a waste. Life is short. Why would you spend so much time doing Christian stuff? Uh, they thought perhaps it was better to just spend a bit more time relaxing and enjoying what, this, what life in this world has to offer. When I spoke to Olive, uh, not long before she died, she wanted to tell me what she wanted in her funeral. Um, I, she said, I want everyone to hear 1 Corinthians 15. She said, I want it to be read from beginning to end. There are 58 verses. It's quite a long reading for a funeral, let me tell you. I didn't follow that instruction. <clears throat> uh, we just read the last bit and I, I spoke on that. But uh, why would she want to read this passage at her funeral? Well, it's uh, because this chapter is about the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection of the dead changes everything in life. And uh, when we're talking about the resurrection of the dead, we're not just talking about Jesus' resurrection. That's where our mind goes straight away, doesn't it? We mention resurrection, we think Jesus. He was raised. And he was. But... This is talking about something much bigger that has been spoken of in the Bible from beginning to end. The resurrection of every man, woman and child who has ever lived. Now Olive knew that this makes all the difference for Christians who are facing death and it makes all the difference for living now. And so over the next three weeks, we've got the privilege of digging down deeply into this great chapter of the Bible. Uh, Here's what the series is going to look like over the next three weeks. Today, uh, we're answering that first question, do you believe it? Well, put it this way, I'm asking that first question, do you believe it? Next week, uh, what difference does it make? And then uh, the week after, what will it be like? That's a question we all want to know, isn't it? What will it be like? But to kick us off, the chapter, uh, the first part we just read, makes us face up to this vital question. Do you believe in the resurrection? For centuries, Christians have met together and said the Apostles' Creed. We don't do it so much at Saturday Church these days. Come on Thursday morning, we say it every week. The Apostles' Creed. And uh, the Creed uh, is a statement of what Christians believe, and it wraps up with these words. uh, That I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead... And the life everlasting. Amen. Again, the resurrection of the dead, it's not talking about Jesus. That he came earlier in the creed, that God raised him from the dead on the third day. This is talking about our resurrection at the end of time. Uh, The time when uh, everyone is raised physically from the grave and to face judgment before God. And the Bible teaches that this will happen at the last day when Jesus returns, when all things are wrapped up, when the world as we know it will be no more and the world that God has promised will come into being. On that day, there will be a general resurrection. That's how theologians describe it as opposed to Jesus' resurrection, the general resurrection of all people. And as we're thinking about this, it's important that we get it clear what we're talking about. We're not talking about a resuscitation like Jesus' friend Lazarus, he died, he was in a tomb, and Jesus raised him from the dead, just like he did a few other people. And uh, it's not talking about that, because those people died again. 
They, they were like someone who'd had CPR done on them, except it was a miracle that just came by the word of God. But uh, they lived again, grew old and died. Uh, it's not uh, talking about reincarnation. That's an idea that some of us might have, isn't it? That uh, we, we die and somehow or other the essence of us then takes up residence in some new body. And uh, we go on in that way. Nor is it talking about just our souls living on. Uh, often uh, that's a picture that we can have of what the resurrection looks like, that somehow or other for all eternity we're going to be floating around in some um, uh, non-physical uh, state with the carps and the angels in the clouds. Why don't we fall down if we, you know, it must be because we don't have a body. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. Nor are we just talking about what most people in the world or many people in the world these days believe, that when we die we just rot away and we go into oblivion and that's it. There's just no more of anything. No, the uh, way to think about our resurrection is to think about Jesus' resurrection. He was physically dead and buried and he was physically raised and he lives now forever, never to die again. And that's what the creed is talking about, the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. So the question is, do you believe in this resurrection? Well, perhaps I should uh, push a little bit harder. Do you really believe in the resurrection? See, I think most of us would probably tick the box. Yeah, 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 I've heard about this before. I'm a Christian. I've been around. But do you really believe it so that it actually affects your heart? the things that you're looking forward to, the things that are driving you and shaping your priorities in life. Because it's not always easy to believe this. In fact, I think if we're honest, I suspect that most of us find this general resurrection hard to believe. I mean, a lot of people have lived and died over thousands of years, haven't they? Out in uh, western New South Wales, Lake Mungo, you know, they found Mungo Man and Mungo Lady and then they reburied them in the sand hills there. Uh, apparently 40,000 years old. This says they're going to be raised. People who've been buried at sea, eaten by fish, they're going to be raised. People who've been cremated, people who have uh, long since been forgotten, people who were killed in war and laid an unknown grave, they're going to be raised. Every man, woman and child who's ever lived is going to be... That's hard to believe, isn't it? If you don't believe in a God who can create everything out of nothing, uh, who can raise the dead, then you're probably not going to believe in the general resurrection. Do you believe it? For others of us, it might be just the reality of death. Uh, some of you will know my dad died only a couple of weeks ago and I had the privilege of being there as he took his final breath. And after that happened, there was just such an incredible stillness as there was no more life in his body, no more grasping for air, no more uncomfortable moving around, just absolute stillness. And the world seemed a different place after he had died. Death is so permanent, isn't it, in our perspective? Do we really believe that everyone is going to be raised? He's... Uh, these are, I think, uh, penetrating questions for us. Uh, I think there's one other reason why we might find it hard too. That often I think we, uh, we have 
imbibed an ancient Greek philosophy, which is that uh, we are a soul uh, in a body and that the body is somehow rather limiting to us and we're kind of stuck in this body now, uh, a bit like a genie in a bottle. But after we die, that the, somehow or rather the soul will be set free to roam and to be uh, eternal in some way and not limited physically. And so for us, the body seems like a negative thing and we don't want it to come back because we're, we're free. And uh, we think that perhaps the resurrection of the dead is not really that good a thing after all. So although we might say the creed, do you really believe in the resurrection? Do you really believe it? Well, God has a very clear word for us today. And that word is that as Christians, we really must believe it. We must. Uh, It seems that the Corinthians, or at least some of them, uh, were giving up on believing it. They were saying, nah, there's no resurrection of the dead. Now, we've got it all now. Jesus has been raised. That's it. We've got the spirit. We've got all the experience of God. It's like we're in heaven now. There's no resurrection of the dead in the future. We don't actually really know why it was, but we can see that that was a lot of their mindset as we've read through this letter. It's all about the here and now. But you see in verse 12 what they were saying. Have a look there. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, says Paul, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Well, Paul sees that this is a, uh, a, a big problem for these people. And as he gets underway, there are two key reasons why he says we must really believe it. The first one comes in the first 11 verses, uh, and that is that the Christian faith is based on a resurrection. It's based on a resurrection. Paul goes back to basics in this first part of the chapter, and he reminds the church of the, the gospel message that he and the other apostles preached. There's only one gospel, the one he received from Jesus himself, the one that he passed on to these first Christians. And this is the same gospel we see in verse 1, that these people received and on which they have taken their stand. They've based their lives on this gospel truth. And this gospel truth has a resurrection in it. It's not an optional extra. Look at verse 2. They have believed it and they are being saved whilst they continue to believe it. But if you hold on, it's only if you hold on to the message I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. Yes, they had believed it. They'd taken their stand on it. That's great. But now they've got the wobbles because some of them are saying there's no resurrection from the dead. And he says, if you give up on that, if you give up on that, then uh, you've believed what you've believed and what you've done in serving Christ and trusting him so far is in vain. It's been a waste of time. I take it because this is essential for Christian faith. We must believe it. And uh, it's a serious word, a warning, isn't it, for those who may think that, oh, it's, it's okay to be a Christian, but I just I find that a bit hard to believe. I'll leave that out of my kind of framework of thinking. And sadly, there's been a lot of even uh, leaders in the Anglican church around the world who've wanted to say, oh, Jesus just lives on in the memory. He wasn't really physically raised from the dead. And uh, they certainly wouldn't be preaching that we're all going to be raised from the dead in the last day physically because it doesn't fit with a scientific worldview. 
But we know that God is over and above all of the, uh, the things in this world and our experiences. He created everything from nothing. He raised Jesus from the dead. He will, as he has promised, raise us from the dead. And this is really important. He goes on and he says, this is the the content of the Christian gospel. And if you're here tonight and you want to have a a clear grasp on what the Christian message is, this is a great passage for you to, uh, to look at carefully. There are two key things in the message. That first one is that Jesus died and the second is that Jesus was raised. He was resurrected. You see there, uh, he says, this is what was most important, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That means that we have, because of our behaviour and our attitude to God, we are worthy of death and God's judgement. But Jesus died on the cross in our place. He died for our sins. He took our place, our punishment, so that we can find forgiveness and acceptance with God. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? That's at the heart of the gospel. But how do we know that he really died? Well, because the next thing, verse 4, he was buried. That's the confirmation that he died. You don't bury people who are still alive. Well, it's not a good idea anyway, all right? But Jesus died. The Romans killed him. They knew what they were doing. They knew he was dead, and they put him in a tomb, and they rolled the big stone in front of it. But that wasn't the end. See the next bit. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The whole Old Testament has promised that a Messiah would come and establish an eternal kingdom. It's very hard to rule an eternal kingdom if you're dead in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead to be alive, to rule forever and ever. He is right now seated on the throne of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here among us because Jesus is ruling He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And how do we know that he was really raised? Well, just as the burial was confirmation of his death, so his appearing is the confirmation of his resurrection. And Paul gives a lot of attention to this because the resurrection is where he's heading. He appeared to uh, three individuals, to Kephas, it's another name for Peter, uh, the the, uh, disciple that was closest to Jesus. He appeared to James, his brother, who initially was sceptical and didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah from God. And he appeared to Paul, the apostle, who, uh, uh, when he appeared to him, was his worst enemy, persecuting the church and trying to squash Jesus. Jesus appeared to his best friend, to his brother, and to his worst enemy. And all of them became persuaded that Jesus really had been raised from the dead. Imagine, who do you think would be the hardest to persuade? I reckon it might even be your brother. Imagine trying to persuade your brother that uh, you were God in the flesh who died for the sins of the world and has now been raised to rule forever. Well, James was persuaded. And it wasn't just these individuals. It says he appeared to over 500 at one time. And they're all still alive at the time this was written. So you could go and ask them if you wanted to. He appeared to all the apostles and uh, he, um, and so, the, so Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you better believe it. The Christian faith is based on a resurrection and there are good reasons for it. Jesus died, was buried. He's been raised and he appeared to all these people. How is it that some of you can say there's no resurrection from the dead? The Christian faith is based on a resurrection. Well, Paul then goes and drives home his second point, that without the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. 
It's like one of those uh, Jenga games. You like playing Jenga? Uh, it's a bit stressful for me, actually. Um, I like bit cal- games that are a bit calmer. But you put the blocks up and you try and take one out without the whole thing falling down. And uh, there are some that you can get away with. You can just manage to get it out. But if you take out the wrong one, then phew, the whole thing crashes. Well, the resurrection of the dead is like that in the framework of Christian thinking. If we take it out, then uh, everything else crumbles. And in verses 13 to 19, there are five consequences that Paul lists in rapid succession uh, to to prove this. The first is that uh, he says that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, at first, this is a bit hard to get our head around. And next week, we're going to see the, the flip side. Because Christ has been raised, therefore, there will be a resurrection of everyone from the dead. But this is going the other way. He's saying, if there isn't a resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And I think probably the best way to understand this is in the simplest, uh, the simplest way that uh, if there's no such thing as resurrection, if God can't raise people from the dead, well, then he couldn't have raised Jesus, could he? Because that's not possible. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Jesus could have been raised. And so, next one, verse 14 Uh, Paul says, what we've preached to you is that he has been raised. And so our preaching is futile. We're we're preaching a a living Lord of the universe who's dead in a tomb. That's a waste of time. And not only that, it's deceptive. We're telling lies on behalf of God if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, he says. And if there's no resurrection of the dead at the end, why would we bother? And your faith, therefore, is futile and useless. Uh, He says there, look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. See, remember Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. But how do we know that he actually did it? It's one thing to say, I'm going to pay for your sins. If he just died and was put in the tomb and hadn't been raised from the dead, we wouldn't know whether he'd accomplished that purpose, would we? Maybe he himself had been a sinner and needed to pay for his own sins. Or maybe he'd tried really hard, but he just wasn't valuable enough or good enough to be able to pay for our sins. But no, God raised him from the dead, which was a sign to us all that he is the one who has fully paid. The price is paid in full. He's conquered death. He's paid for sin so we can be completely forgiven. And now he's ruling the universe. If, Jesus, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then you're still in your sins. Why would you think that you'd been forgiven? And following Jesus is futile. Uh, it's, uh, it's a waste of time. Not only that, but there'd be no hope for those who've died in Christ, those people who've trusted in Jesus and now died. Well, what's going to become of them? Are they just going to rot away? There's no hope for them? Well, there's a wonderful uh, comfort that we feel knowing that God will one day raise people from the dead. But that can't be, that's just not true if there's no resurrection. See, the resurrection means that this life is not all there is. Do you really believe that? The last uh, thing he says is kind of sums things up there in verse 19. If we put our hope in Christ for this life only... We should be pitied more than anyone. People like us who come to church, 
you know, I calculate it. I come to church about, you know, six hours a week. If I do that over 50 weeks a year, over 50 years of my life, that's a lot of hours invested in church, isn't it? If there's no resurrection of the dead, why would I bother? I should be pitied more than anyone. I should be down at the beach. Not right now. Maybe I should be somewhere else right now, but on the sun at Sunday morning or whatever, uh, someone like Olive Dodd, who based her life on the gospel message that Jesus is the saviour that people need to know and the Lord that people need to submit to. Well, she was living a lie. She's to be pitied more than anyone. Sincere, yes, but mistaken. See, we're living for the world to come as Christians. But if this life is all there is and the dead have perished, well, what's the point? We may as well eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We're fools to follow Jesus if there's no resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul's saying. He's very clear. As Christians, we must believe in the resurrection. We must. Uh, And he's gave us the two reasons. Because the Christian faith is based on a resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then not even Jesus has been raised. Therefore, he's not Lord. Therefore, he hasn't paid for our sins. Therefore, we should forget Christianity. And without the resurrection, everything in Christianity and all of our efforts at pleasing God and living his way just crumble and are futile. Now, this is just the start of 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we've got uh, another two talks to go in it. And so far, we've seen mainly the the negative. What if it's not true? Uh, Or what if we don't believe it? But next week, Paul's going to turn to the positive. Given it is true, what difference does it make? So make sure you come back for that next week. And I don't want to steal all the thunder from next week's talk, but I will uh, steal a little bit and uh, close this week by saying one more thing. We must believe in the resurrection because the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. Uh, Three uh, quick implications. First, the obvious one, but so important for us. Believing the resurrection from the dead totally changes how we see death, especially for Christian people. In fact, it should change our whole attitude and death should have a whole new significance in our life because if there is a resurrection from the dead, is there anything that could be more important than making sure you're forgiven and at peace with God before you die? If you really believe the resurrection, then there is nothing more important than that for you, for your family, for your friends. This just changes the whole priority system that we have, doesn't it? What is it that you're praying for your kids? What is it that you are planning for in the rest of your life? What would you like to see people around you doing? Going on a trip? Seeing the world? Advancing in their career? Yeah, all good things, but only for this life. If there's a resurrection from the dead, then there can be nothing that is more important than knowing Jesus and living a life uh, totally devoted to him. Because that's where you're going to be in eternity. This life is so short. Bang! It's gone like that. But eternity is forever. And what a difference it makes when a Christian who does know the forgiveness of Christ dies. We can have hope that one day they will be raised 
And as they face judgment, they'll be received and welcomed, forgiven, blessed, and take their place in God's new world. Have you been to a funeral of someone who's not a Christian? My dad, sadly, as far as I know, wasn't a Christian. It's very hard to say anything, uh, any note of hope in a funeral like that. We can look back and celebrate their life. We can look up and see that God is good and kind and call on him to strengthen and comfort us, yes. But we can't look forward to anything. But if there's a resurrection from the dead, and if that person trusts in Jesus, we can look forward to something. Life is going to be far better in the long run for them than what it has been in the past. There'll be so much more to celebrate. That totally changes death. It takes away the fear of death for us. Jesus has taken away the sting of death. We'll see that later in this chapter. And he gives us hope. Second, I think this has got implications for how we think about our bodies. I mentioned to you before that some of us have this idea that the essence of us is uh, a soul or perhaps our psyche, perhaps the things we feel on the inside. That's who the authentic, real Neil Fitzpatrick is. And uh, that's certainly part of who I am. But I'm also a body that you see before you. And this body is Neil Fitzpatrick. I don't think it's helpful for us to separate the two too much, as sometimes we do in our culture, that I'm, I'm a person who's, as I was saying before, trapped in my body. The Bible thinks of it much more holistically, and the resurrection of the dead screams out to us that the body matters. You are going to be raised from the dead, which means your body is going to be raised from the dead. You're not going to float around just as an unbodied soul. There will be a time when your body hasn't yet been raised, when you will be with the Lord if you trust him in some way, but you're not yet in heaven. You're not in the new creation until your body has been raised. That's why earlier in 1 Corinthians, in the chapter about uh, sexual immorality, the Corinthians were saying, oh, you know, it doesn't matter what you do with the body. It's just like food. If you put food in your mouth, uh, you can eat some of it and then it goes in down the bathroom in the toilet or you can throw it away and it doesn't mean anything. Same too with the body. You can rub it up against whoever you want to and it doesn't make any difference because it's not really you, it's just a body. And Paul says, no, that's you. Your body belongs to God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's been bought by Jesus' blood. And so you've got to honour God with your body. Your body is you. You see what happens when we don't, when we start to kind of not have a clear view of the resurrection of the body in our minds? The body doesn't matter so much. And the real me is just something inside this, like the genie in the bottle. I think that's an implication as we think about the resurrection from the dead. That's why in funerals too, we, uh, it's important that we deal, I think the words of the prayer book say, deal reverently with the mortal remains of the person who's died because uh, we're dealing with a body that God created and that God is going to raise one day. But lastly, an encouragement. As we go about seeking to please the Lord, as we turn up to church, as we serve him, as we sacrifice ourselves, as we work hard to live a godly life, being more and more like Jesus, as we pray, as we give, as we do all of those things, Maybe the world around us will say, what a waste of time and energy. Just get on with enjoying yourself. Olive and Gordon died, all that Christian service, 
all those things they gave, what, what a waste. But I want you to show you, as I wrap up tonight, how this passage finishes, the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, uh, always excelling in the Lord's work. Don't give up. Don't give up believing and serving the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's not a waste of time. Uh, back in before he said if you give up trusting in Jesus then you will have believed in vain he says that if uh, Jesus if there's no resurrection from the dead our preaching is in vain your faith is in vain if there's no resurrection from the dead then it's all a waste of time but it's not because there is a resurrection from the dead we must believe it and here's the encouragement your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not a waste of time. The effects of it, the celebration of it, will last for all eternity. So brothers and sisters, keep going. Keep following Jesus and keep serving him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength because your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this word from 1 Corinthians. Thank you for this promise that is bigger than we can even keep in our heads, that one day we're all going to be raised. Thank you that you have already shown us that by raising Jesus from the dead. And thank you, Lord, for the clear word that we must believe this. Please help us, Lord, to live in light of this truth so that we might not fear death, so that we might know that our bodies matter to you, and so that we might not give up trusting Jesus and labouring away in the Lord's work, in his work, because uh, our labour in him is not in vain. Help us to, to know this deeply. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.